Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Through the Psalms podcast. This is Wesley Provine. Today, we're going to be talking about Psalm 9. This is another Psalm of David. We don't know exactly when he wrote this, but it was possibly after a victory over the Philistines. Psalm 9 and 10 often go together, such as in the Septuagint. If you remember, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Psalm 9 and 10 also go together in some of the pre-Reformation Christian Bibles. But in our English translation of our Bible today, Psalm 9 and 10 are separate psalms. They are acrostic psalms, that is, taken together, 9 and 10 form an acrostic psalm. And if you remember from the first episode of this podcast, an acrostic psalm is uh, when each verse begins with a consecutive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So you're not going to notice that unless you're reading the Hebrew. Um, But the Hebrew has 22 letters, and if you total the verses in Psalm 9 and 10, you get 38 verses. So it's an irregular acrostic psalm but one nonetheless. Now the superscription above the psalm says, to the chief musician according to Muthlaban, a psalm of David. Now that word Muthlaban means uh, either um, to die for the son or the death of the son, uh, depending on which source you look at. And uh, it probably refers to the tune that this psalm was sung to. If you remember, these psalms were originally intended to be set to music, and so Muthlaban probably refers to the music that the psalm is set to. Uh, Now, that title uh, is kind of mysterious. We don't really know uh, what that means. Uh, Some have speculated it could refer to Absalom, you know, David's son who died, but we really just don't know. But the important thing is the psalm itself, so Uh, That's what we're going to focus on today. In this psalm, uh, David praises God for victory and protection against his enemies. That's a common theme throughout the psalms. Uh, David describes God as a refuge for the oppressed and those who seek him and trust in him. Uh, David describes the Lord as a righteous, uh, righteous judge over the world. And the psalm also talks about the punishment of the wicked. Well, having the introduction out of the way, let's go ahead and read the psalm. Psalm 9. I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou Most High. When mine enemies are turned back, they shall fall and perish at thy presence. For thou hast maintained my right and my cause. Thou saddest in the throne judging right. Thou hast rebuked the heathen. Thou hast destroyed the wicked. Thou hast put out their name forever and ever. O thou enemy, destructions are come to a perpetual end, and thou hast destroyed cities. Their memorial is perished with them, but the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment, and he shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Sing praises to the Lord which dwelleth in Zion. Declare among the people his doings. When he maketh inquisition for blood, he remembereth them. He forgetteth not the cry of the humble. Have mercy upon me, O Lord. Consider my trouble which I suffer of them that hate me. Thou that liftest me up from the gates of death. 
that I may show forth all thy praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in thy salvation. The heathen are sunk down in the pit that they made in the net which they hid is their own foot taken. The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Higion, Selah. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the heathen be judged in thy sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Selah. Okay, so you notice in the first verse, like a lot of Psalms, he starts out with praising the Lord. And the thing that really sticks out to me is he says, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. And that phrase, with my whole heart, is kind of reminiscent of the greatest commandment, which we find in Deuteronomy and also in the New Testament. And the greatest commandment is that we shall love the Lord our God, we shall love the Lord our God with all our whole, I can't speak today. We shall love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And that's one of the things that is so special about David is that he loved the Lord with his whole heart. He made mistakes, he sinned, but he would repent, he would turn back to God, and he loved the Lord with his whole heart. And that's what the Lord wants from us is wholehearted devotion to him. He doesn't want lukewarmness. We we learn that in Revelation when Jesus is talking to the church of Laodicea, and he says, I will spew thee out of my mouth, I will vomit thee out of my mouth, because thou art lukewarm. He wants us to love the Lord with our whole heart. And that's what David did. He praised the Lord with his whole heart. He also says, I will show forth all thy marvelous works. Now the word marvelous, when you see it in the King James in the Old Testament, it means wonders or miracles or supernatural things that the Lord has done. We know that there are a lot of those instances in the Old Testament. We think about the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. We think about the ten plagues upon Egypt. We think about God splitting the waters of the Red Sea. Uh, We think about um, God feeding the children of Israel with manna in the wilderness. We think about God um, speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai and giving him the law. And now David didn't witness those things firsthand, but I'm sure he knew of them and was taught them. But David saw plenty of wonders himself. He saw God help him defeat a giant. He saw God uh, defeat Goliath. Um, you know, David didn't do that on his own. It was it was God giving strength to David, enabling him to defeat Goliath. Uh, God took David as a shepherd boy and raised him up to be a king. That's a marvelous thing in and of itself. You think about where David came from, and he wasn't even the firstborn son, and yet he was raised up to be king. And so David knew a lot about the wonders, the marvels of that God had done. And he didn't just keep those to himself. He said that he was going to show forth those. He was going to tell people about those. And that's what we're called to do is tell people uh, primarily about the gospel, but also to tell others what God has done, to speak of his marvelous works. Uh, another theme that we see throughout the um, Psalms, you know, we've talked about praise, we've talked about uh, victory over one's enemies. Another theme in, in the Psalms is joy 
And we see that in verse 2. David says, I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. So we see the joy that David has as God gives him deliverance from his enemies. Now we don't know exactly who the enemy he, here is, who the enemy is here that he's referring to, uh, but it might be the Philistines. We know if if you know the story of David, you know that he fought the Philistines, and uh, on a on a uh, regular basis, and um, so he could be referring to the Philistines. Uh, but David praises God for delivering him and delivering Israel or Judah from uh, the Philistines from their enemies. Uh, you know, David, uh, you know, before David, there was Saul, and Saul had constant problems with the Philistines. David was able to subdue them for the most part. And when David and Solomon reigned, there was kind of a, a time of of peace when Israel had rest uh, from her enemies. And uh, and so God praise, uh, David praises God for this victory over um, Israel's enemies. Now it's interesting in verse 3 when he says, When mine enemies are turned back, they shall fall and perish at thy presence. The Lord is so powerful, just his presence is enough to make the enemies fall back. And this kind of reminds one of the story of Jesus when Judas and the chief priest and the Pharisees are coming to arrest Jesus in the garden. And Judas has betrayed uh, Jesus and they... uh, uh, Jesus asks them, he, he says, um, whom seek ye? And they say, uh, they, tell, they tell him Jesus, and Jesus says, I am he. And they fall back just at his words. It says that they fall back when he says, I am he. And that's how powerful God is. That's how powerful Jesus is. He just needs to speak the word, and his, his words, his presence makes the enemies fall back. David praises God for... Um, maintaining his cause. You know, David felt like he had been mistreated. Obviously, if you know David's story, he was mistreated by Saul. And um, he praises God for maintaining his right and his cause. And he says that God has sat in his throne and judged righteously, um, or judged according to righteousness. And so David praises God for this. He mentions the heathen in verses 5 and 15. Now that word heathen in the King James refers to the nations or the Gentiles. Uh, in the Old Testament, you know, the Gentiles were considered uh, dogs by the Jews. They were unclean. They were wicked nations. Uh, and they often are referred to as the heathen. They didn't know God. They didn't worship God. They were idolatrous and they were immoral and they worshiped many other false gods. And David here talks about how uh, God rebuked the heathen and destroyed the wicked. You know, what's interesting is if you look at the Old Testament, there's a lot of nations mentioned in the Old Testament that aren't around anymore. You think about, I mean, do you hear about the Philistines today? Uh, You think about Edom and Moab, you don't really hear much about them. Uh, A lot of these enemies that oppressed Israel, uh, I think about the Assyrians, they were a wicked, uh, violent cruel people. You don't hear about them uh, a whole lot today, do you? So a lot of these nations that are mentioned in the Old Testament, uh, they've been destroyed. You no longer hear about them because uh, God destroyed them or, you know, um, punished them. 
And so the good news for us as Gentiles, though, today is we know from the New Testament that uh, the gospel was taken to the Gentiles and that Jesus and the salvation that Jesus provides is not just for the Jews, but it also it is also for the Gentiles. And so we can thank God that uh, he showed us grace and mercy and brought the gospel to the nations and to the Gentiles. And it's not just for the Jews, it's for both Jews and Gentiles. And so that's the good news that we have today. David talks about God punishing the wicked, and we've talked about that in previous Psalms, this contrast between the righteous and the wicked. Um, And you see the contrast here in this Psalm between the temporary nature of the wicked and the how the Lord endures forever. It says there in verse 7, but the Lord shall endure forever. So sometimes it seems like the wicked are prosperous and it seems like they win, but in the end it says that God will punish the wicked, but the Lord will endure forever. So the Lord looks at things over the long term while we often are short-sighted and just look in in the short term. David describes the Lord as the judge, as a righteous judge. He says he shall judge the world in righteousness, verse 8. And he shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. You know, uh, if you go to a judge, you want him to be uh, a good judge. You want him to be upright. You want him to be a person of integrity. You want him to judge according to righteousness and do the right thing. You don't want him to be a judge that's going to be able to be bribed or um, you don't want him to show favoritism, well, we can have confidence that the Lord is a righteous judge, that he is holy and righteous, that he will judge according to uprightness and and good judgment. And, and we have that confidence, and David had that confidence. And uh, that should be reassuring to us. At now in verse 9, this is a key verse of the psalm. He says, the Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. Verse 10, and they that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. That should be very encouraging to us that God is there for those that are mistreated or oppressed. He is a refuge. He is a stronghold in times of trouble and that we can come to him. And the good news is that it says that he will not forsake those that seek him. If you honestly, sincerely seek the Lord, this psalm promises that the Lord won't forsake you, that he will respond to you when you seek him and when you put your trust in him. And so that's a great encouragement to us that the Lord cares for us and that he uh, cares about those that are mistreated and oppressed and he will be our refuge, our stronghold. And if we seek him, he will not forsake us. As I'm recording this, the um, coronavirus uh, is you know, spreading throughout the world. And everybody's uh, in quarantine pretty much. And um, things, businesses are shut down. Schools are shut down. Churches are shut down. So it's a strange time. It's a difficult time. And, and uh and we're praying for those that are affected by it. And we're praying for protection upon our loved ones and our families and ourselves. But we can be encouraged that the Lord is our refuge, that, the, that he's there for us, and that when we seek him, 
uh, he won't forsake us and that he'll be there for us. And so this verse, these verses should encourage us, especially during this time. Okay, in verse uh, 11, David talks about singing to the Lord, sing praises to the Lord, which dwelleth in Zion. Um, one of the things, that if, you're, if you're ever discouraged and down, one of the things that can really lift your mood and encourage you is to sing praises to the Lord, to um, sing a hymn or a praise and worship song. Uh, it's very encouraging. Uh, and I think, you know, the Bible says in the Psalms that God inhabits the praises of his people. When Paul and Silas were in jail, what did they do? They didn't complain, although that's probably what I would have done. I probably would have been discouraged and depressed, but no, it says they sang praises to the Lord. And so David encourages people to do that as well. Now, this word Zion, I think we've talked about this before in a previous episode, but the word Zion refers to the mount in Jerusalem that the temple is on, uh, Mount Moriah. And so basically when you see the word Zion in the Psalms, you can think of Jerusalem, you can think of the Temple Mount, uh, but it's it's kind of synonymous with um, Jerusalem. And then it says to declare among the people his doings. Once again, you have this uh, idea of telling people about the deeds of the Lord, what the marvelous things that he's done. Verse 12 uh, deals with avenging. He, he says, when he maketh... In, when he maketh inquisition for blood, um, that's kind of hard to understand, but the translation uh, could be when he avenges for blood. That is that uh, God sees the violence that happens and he will, uh, you know, he is obviously against murder. That's one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not murder. And so we heard, a, we talked about this before, but we're to consider human life as sacred. People are created in the image of God and it says here that he will avenge those who have shed blood. And he remembers those that cry out. He remembers um, the afflicted, the humble, those that have suffered. So once again, we see here that God cares about those that are mistreated, those that are oppressed. He cares about them and he hears their cry. Now, verse 13, David uh, pleads for God's mercy. We see this often in, throughout the Psalms. He asks, uh, Have mercy upon me, O Lord. Consider my trouble, which I suffer of them that hate me, thou that liftest me up from the gates of death. That's a very encouraging verse. He's asking God for mercy. He asks God to consider those that, you know, consider the trouble that he's seen because of those that hate him. Once again, we don't know exactly what enemy he, here that he's referring to, but it could be the Philistines, it could be Saul, it could be a number of people. But we know that David definitely dealt with enemies that wanted to kill him on numerous occasions. And he's pleading to God for mercy. And he says that God is the one that lifts him up from the gates of death. You know, God has power over life and death, and he lifted David up. We know that, that God delivered David on probably multiple occasions where someone was trying to kill him and, and uh, God would save David and deliver him out of their hands. So that verse ought to be an encouragement to us. Verse 14, 
once again, he says that I may show forth all thy praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in thy salvation. So why uh, does he want God to do this? So he can praise God and show forth his praise. So he can tell people what God has done for him. Uh, when you see the phrase, the daughter of Zion, uh, that just refers to Jerusalem. That's a phrase that you'll see throughout the Old Testament, and it just means Jerusalem. And he says, I will rejoice in thy salvation. This reminds me of that verse in Psalm 51 where David prays, Restore the joy of thy salvation unto me, O Lord. Uh, I don't believe that you can lose your salvation. I've been taught that the eternal security of the believer, that is that once we're saved, we're always saved, that we're, the ch we're a child of God. Once we become a child of God, we stay a child of God. But we can lose the joy of our salvation if we get into sin or if we become bitter or angry or if we get away from God's word and get away from prayer and get away from gathering with his people and, and get into the world, we can definitely lose the joy of our salvation. I think Lot is a good picture of this. He was a man, the Bible calls Lot a righteous man. He was saved, but he lived in Sodom and Sodom kind of corrupted him and influenced him to the point where he had lost his witness, his testimony, his joy, and really his life was had become a mess. Uh, and so... We need to, you know, if we've lost the joy of our salvation, we need to ask God to restore that so we can have that joy again. And David wanted to rejoice in God's salvation. And uh, he, he didn't, you know, if we're saved, we ought to have that joy. And that's that's part of our witness and part of our testimony is being joyful. Uh, because if we're not joyful, people are probably not going to want what we have. And so if we want to be a good witness, we need to have that joy if for no other reason as a testimony to others. Sometimes it's hard to be joyful, but again, joy doesn't necessarily depend upon our circumstances. Joy is something deeper that, uh, whether we can be happy or sad, but joy is uh, steady. It, it's maintained in, throughout the ups and downs of life. Okay, verse 15. He talks again about the heathen. He says, They're sunk down in the pit that they have made, and the net which they hid is, is their own foot taken. I think we talked about this in a previous episode, but uh, you know, the wicked will set a trap, and then they fall into their own trap. Or they'll dig a pit, and then they fall into their own pit. And so it's just kind of, I think this is versus a warning to anybody that would set a trap for others or try to do others harm. You might end up falling into your own trap. You know, whatever you plan for others might come back upon you. And that's what David is saying about the heathen, these wicked nations that are oppressing uh, God's people, uh, that they're going to fall into their own traps. You know, I think about the story of the Assyrians coming against Hezekiah and, and um, Jerusalem. And Hezekiah went to the Lord and he prayed for deliverance. And and God delivered them. And and it says that uh, that they ended up, a lot of them were killed. The angel of the Lord, I believe, if I remember correctly, came and, and killed a lot of the Assyrians, and then they left, and God delivered them. And so oftentimes the heathen, the, the, the nations that don't know God, they, set, they devise these plans, but if God is not in those plans and if they're doing wicked things, oftentimes those fall back upon their own head. Okay, verse 16 um, you see the words, uh, well, it says, The Lord is known by by the judgment which he executeth. 
the wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Again, that kind of goes along with what we were just saying, that the wicked make a snare for someone else, but then they're snared by that themselves. Uh, that word higion, I think, has showed up in a previous psalm, and we talked about that. And the word higion just means um, meditation or song. And the word selah, we talked about that. That's kind of a musical pause or a place to rest and reflect and think back. And these deal probably with the music. Uh, these are probably musical notations when they were originally set to music. Verse 17, the wicked shall be turned into hell in all the nations that forget God. Uh, this is a powerful verse. It really grabs your attention. And it's a warning to those nations that would forget God. Um, a nation could be prosperous for a while, but if it doesn't depend upon God, if it doesn't put its trust in God, it's not going to last. And again, we talked about all those nations in the Old Testament that you don't hear of anymore because they forgot God. They were wicked. That word hell, when you see it in the Old Testament, it's the word Sheol, S-H-E-O-L. And it refers to the place of the dead, the grave. Uh, and so basically, it's saying that God will put an end to the wicked nations. He will um, send them into hell, send them into Sheol. And uh, a nation that forgets God cannot long endure. It cannot long uh, prosper. And we see that again from the Old Testament uh, I think it was Ronald Reagan who said, if we ever forget that we are one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. And a lot of our founding fathers in America here realized this as well, that um, that we needed to have faith in God and that that was important for our nation, that without virtue and without our faith in God, uh, we would not long endure Okay, um, well, let me, let me quote this proverb. Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So we need to remember that, that when we're godly and righteous and we, when we put our faith and trust in God and in His Word, that exalts us as a nation. But when we sin, when we forget God, that's a reproach to us. And that is... That means that we will not long last as a nation if we forget God. You kind of see this throughout American history. America, in its beginning, honored God. It wasn't perfect. It made mistakes. But it honored God. It put uh, God at the center. Uh, most Americans were people of the Christian faith. But in the last several years, we've gotten away from God. Uh, we've forgotten God. And you see all the problems that have come about that or come as a result of that in our nation. As we've sinned and forgotten God, uh, we've had all sorts of problems, and it's like the blessing of God is being taken off our nation. And so we pray for revival. We pray for a return to the Lord. Okay, in verse 18, it says, For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. In this world, the poor and the needy are often forgotten or overlooked, and the focus is often on the rich and the powerful, but this verse says that shall not always be the case. We need to remember that the Lord has a special place in His heart for the needy and the poor, and, and that we're to remember them and help them when we can. 
whatever way we can. Verse 19, David asked the Lord to arise. He says, Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the heathen be judged in thy sight. So he's asking God to arise and judge uh, the heathen. Again, that word heathen refers to the Gentile nations, those nations that don't know God. Verse 20, he says, Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Selah. Oftentimes the nations that don't know God are arrogant and they devise all these plans apart from God. But God has multitude of ways to remind them that he is in control. And that's kind of what I reminded of. That's what I'm reminded of in this situation with the coronavirus is that God is in control and that this reminds us, this crisis reminds us that we're just men. We're just flesh and blood. We're men and women uh, and that we're not in control and that we need God. We're dependent upon him for everything. And if anything, that's that's what this crisis should remind us of is that God is God, that he's in control and that we need him every day. And we're just flesh and blood. We're just men and women. Uh, and so it's it's a humbling thing. Crisis, crises like these uh, humble us and remind us who God is and reminds us who we are and it reminds us of our need for God uh, he, he, David says there put them in fear O Lord that kind of reminds me of Proverbs 1-7 uh, where it talks about the uh, beginning of knowledge you know the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or the beginning of wisdom and so we're to fear the Lord and things like this virus reminds us of that, to fear the Lord, that he is the one in control, and that we are but men. So, in conclusion, what can we learn from this psalm? Um, we learn, first of all, that God delivers David from his enemies. And we also learn that David recognized the Lord as judge over all the earth that God alone is judge, and that he judges righteously. Uh, we learn that uh, David sought out God as his refuge, that the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed and for the needy and those that are mistreated and those that are weak, and he cares about us and that he is our stronghold. And, and David asked God for mercy and to remember him. Uh, and David sought for God to be glorified as judge over the Gentile nations, over the world. As God sits on his throne and judges the nations, uh, God is glorified as the supreme judge. God is uh, the ruler over all the universe. He is lifted up high on his throne, and we are reminded that we are but men, and we are dependent upon him for every uh, heartbeat, every breath, every day that he gives us, we are dependent upon the Lord and we need him. So this verse should humble us, but it should also encourage us that the Lord cares for us and that if we seek him, that he won't forsake us and that we can praise him for his deliverance and we can tell others of all his marvelous works. Well, that's all for this week. I pray God's blessing and protection upon you. And I pray and hope that you have a good week. Thank you.